with just the first five verses and, and go from there. Um, before I get started, though, I did want to just do a couple of things that I neglected to ask Jerry to announce. Um, the first is we have these postcards for v- Vacation Bible School. It's going to be June 27th, but we have a whole stack of them. So if you have kids in your neighborhood or grandchildren or children or you know people that might want to come to or kids that might want to come to the Vacation Bible School, I encourage you to grab a few of those. We also have Easter invites for next Sunday. So if you'd like to invite your neighbors or someone to our Easter uh, service and then a luncheon afterwards and then Easter egg hunt, uh, feel free to grab a few of those as well. And those are in the foyer there underneath the monitor by the door. And uh, one final announcement, <laughs> uh, just so you know, uh, the, 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 today's going to be the car's last Sunday with us. So um, we're going to miss them and so grateful for them to move all the way across the country to help us in our ministry here in Idaho Falls. We're going to miss them terribly, so please be uh, sure to to pray with them and, and give them your well wishes as they travel travel back to Tennessee this week. So, uh, anyway, uh, so I think that's it as far as what I needed to cover. So we'll go ahead and get started with the Word of God, but first let's pray. Father, we come before you. Lord, and we just ask that you would help us, Lord, at this time to set aside all the distractions, all the busyness, um, all the fears, all the struggles that we endure in this life. Lord, help us to set those things aside this morning, uh, that we might have this time, Lord, that your Spirit may do a work within us, that as we proclaim and read um, your Word, that the Spirit of God, that your Spirit, would, who, who dwells in the hearts of every believer, Father, would illuminate us to your truth, and that you'd use this opportunity to, to transform us and to change us more into the image of Jesus. God, I pray for, for the, those that are in this room this morning that has not encountered Jesus in a saving way, that today would be the day when they would repent and they'd turn from all other hope and ways and means and embrace and entrust and believe in Christ alone for their salvation, that your Spirit would do a work in their hearts, Lord. They would become new creatures in Christ as you convict them for their need to receive and believe Jesus. God, we just ask that you would be with us during this time. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So Mark chapter 2, we're in... The second chapter only took us nine weeks to get there, but we're going to just go through a few verses, and, and we're, we're Mark's showing us and has been showing us through uh, Mark chapter 1 how Jesus has demonstrated not only the fact that he has claimed to be the Son of God, that he's come to to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, that the kingdom of God has drawn near through Him coming and stepping into His creation as the God-man. He not only said these things, but He identified in His baptism with John the Baptist. When He went and was baptized by John the Baptist, He identified with our problem of sin, our sinfulness in the eyes of a holy God. He 
He came as a man and, and identified with that. And then he literally identified that with that by going into the wilderness and was tempted for 40 days. But the unique uh, characteristic of King Jesus, right, is that he was God in the flesh. And so although he was tempted like us, he, he was without sin. He was He's came, he has come to be the spotless Lamb of God. And, and so he, he claimed these things and began to proclaim the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ to, to Capernaum and to the, the regions around Capernaum in the Galilee region. And he, he began to proclaim this salvation and assume this messianic role, but then he began to demonstrate his authority to do so. Mark records for us through the words of Peter, how Jesus demonstrated his authority over creation through casting out demons, through healing Peter's mother-in-law who had a fever. And then he not only just healed Peter's mother-in-law, but then he began to cast out many demons and many people. The whole town, the scriptures declared last week as we ended chapter 1, said came to Jesus' door to, to, to be healed. And so he began to heal various diseases. Jesus demonstrated his authority over and over and over again. And then last week we saw that he, he, he was even able to heal someone who had leprosy. He was able to do what the law of God could not do. The law of God could prescribe a ceremonial cleansing if someone were to be healed by leprosy, but the law could not heal leprosy. By the touch of Jesus' hand, the leper was immediately cleansed. We got to dwell on that last week. With the touch of Jesus and what He's done on the, on the cross for us and for mankind, we too have been cleansed. We too who have embraced and trusted and believed in Christ alone walk in this new life and this new creation that Jesus has purchased for us on the cross. And in, in Mark chapter 2, we see Him ultimately declare the, the most beautiful miracle of all. He has the authority, Jesus does, to not only just heal the temporal, but He has the authority to forgive sin. The main issue that you and I have with the Holy God is that we are born in our sin and separated from God. And there's nothing you and I can do. No amount of religious works, no amount of self-righteousness that we can muster up in our own strength and power that is ever going to bridge the gap between our sinfulness and the holiness of God. And that's why Jesus came. To answer the problem of sin. To make a way for us to be reconciled to a holy God through His sacrificial work on the cross. And as we enter into Passion Week, as we see Jesus entering into the, to Jerusalem as the Messiah, the long-prophesied Messiah, it should bring us great joy and inspire within us a, an opportunity to, to worship Jesus for what He's done for us. He's made a way. He's bridged the divide for us to have relationship and be adopted into God's family through what He's done by coming into His creation as a man. This authority to forgive sin. 
We see it played out in a well-known story or a well-known historical narrative. Mark chapter 2, verse 1, the Word of the Lord says, When he entered, that's Jesus, Capernaum again, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. He was at Peter's house, more than likely. And so many people gathered together that there was no more room. Uh, So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking the word to them. So again, Capernaum comes, here's Jesus is back in town. They come to Peter's, Peter's house, and they're just packed in. There's no room for anybody to move anywhere. And he was speaking the word. He was proclaiming the message, right? People came, a lot of people came for their physical, their temporal needs to be met. But Jesus was all about the gospel message that he was proclaiming that he brought. He, he desired to authenticate his, his proclamation and his, his gospel, his good news narrative through what he has done, through his powers of being able to heal and cast out demons. But it was about the message of the gospel, and he began to continue to proclaim this good news. The kingdom of God is near in him. In verse 3, they came to him, bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Verse 4, and since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Now those are some friends you want, right? But do you see the desperation of this paralytic, this person who was paralyzed, and and their friends to be able to get this person in front of Jesus that he could experience his miraculous touch and healing? They climbed up on the roof, they tore the roof apart, and they lowered him down before the Lord Jesus. Verse 5, seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, and look at this, it's not you're healed. He answers the question that is the problem for all of us. Son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And this was the, as we go into the passage of Scripture, we're going to see that Jesus um, ultimately heals this paralytic to demonstrate that not only does he, because he has the authority to heal on earth, he has the authority and the ability to forgive sin as well. But as in this passage of Scripture in Mark chapter 2, we begin to see the first of many conflicts that Jesus is going to have with the religious leaders. Here's the Messiah, the long-promised Messiah. He shows up on the scene. He's demonstrating his authority by healing, miraculous healings and all these things. And these religious leaders who are supposed to be pointing people to God and, and to what God is doing in this creation, right? what do they do? They reject him. They become embittered towards Christ. And they begin to enter into conflict with Jesus, the, the one who has come from, God, from heaven. Mark 6, but some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The Old Testament, as God has revealed himself in many different areas in Isaiah, 
Ezekiel declared that it is only God who can forgive sins. It is only God that has that authority. And here comes Jesus on the scene. He's demonstrating that he is from heaven. He is God in the flesh. And he's demonstrated that over and over again through the miraculous healings. And so, but these religious leaders reject that and instead accuse him of blaspheming, declaring himself to to be in the same line and the same authority of God alone. And all of us here in 2022 look back at this scripture and say, yeah, exactly. It is God. He is God. He is God in the flesh. But they did not have the eyes to see or the ears to hear. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And that's exactly why Jesus is bringing this conflict and where he's taking this. Is to demonstrate to the people around him and ultimately because it's recorded in God's word to demonstrate to us that Jesus is trustworthy. That Jesus alone is the means in which God has has made a way for us to be reconciled to the Father, to our Creator, that we can have eternal life in Him and what He's done. Because He is God. And He came to make a way. And this way was not through an establishment of Him in a temporal territory and begin to wage battle in a temporal means. He came to make a way through dying on a cross and being our substitute for us. That He took the penalty of sin that you and I deserve upon Himself. He was punished in our stead. But we see in verse 8 that uh, Mark is also showing us that, that Jesus has another divine attribute. Not only can He heal not only can he, he's, is he claiming to, to be God in the flesh by forgiving sin, he, 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 not only can he cast out, he did, not only has power over the, the spiritual realm by casting out demons, but he also ha- displays this divine attribute of knowing what is within the heart of mankind. He's showing this attribute of omniscience, of all-knowing, that only God, an incommunicable, not a, a tr- an attribute that does not transfer to us, But Jesus demonstrates this divine attribute. Again, showing His divinity. Verse 8, Right away, Jesus perceived in His Spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Again, this divine attribute of omniscience is only for God in Psalm 44. It says, "If If we had forgotten the name of our God and spread out our hands to a foreign God. Wouldn't God have found this out since He knows the secrets of the heart? He, he looks upon the heart of man. He, he knows what's within us. When, we, when I counsel people and talk to them about uh, walking with the Lord and, and when they're struggling with idols of their heart and temptations of the sin that they just can't seem to get over right they, or get past, it's very important to bring myself and to that person to the understanding that there's nothing you're hiding from God. He knows already what's going on within you and within your heart. There's no reason for you to, to make a pretense with God in your prayer. He knows you can be honest with Him. God is all-knowing, and Jesus demonstrates this attribute as well in this passage. And then he 
also provides this probing question. He wants the religious leaders to examine their motives. And maybe that's what we can do this morning as well. Just a reset and to re-examine our motives of why we do what we do in our lives and why we seek to follow Jesus. Right away, Jesus perceived in the Spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves instead of them, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? What is your motivation in this? Jesus will go on to say, the things, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles a man, right? Or a woman. And what comes out of the mouth is what defiles you because what comes out of your mouth stems from your heart. And that's what defiles us. And Jesus is asking for their motivation. Why are you thinking these things? Why are you attacking me and denying what I'm doing? And then he asked a rhetorical question. A question that is meant to give us a point and to give them a point. Jesus goes on to say, which is easier to say to the paralytic? Sins, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? He asked this point to, to, to this question to the religious leaders to demonstrate, right? He already knows this is coming. He, he's already demonstrated his omniscience, his all-knowingness. He, he, he knows what's happening here. And so he uses this, this time as an example to point to them um, the fact that he does have authority to forgive sin because he is God in the flesh. But what he's ultimately saying in this rhetorical question or what he's ultimately asking in this rhetorical question is, what's easier to do? Heal someone? From, para- being a, from being paralyzed or to say you're forgiven. Any of us can say we're forgiven or we can tell someone that are forgiven of their sins. But that does not make it so. Because we don't have the authority to do that. But Jesus does. And he ultimately demonstrates his authority to do so by what? By healing the paralyzed man. He says, what's easier, to say it, you're forgiven, or to heal someone immediately, perfectly, wholly? Get up and take your mat and walk. And then here's the effectual answer. This is Jesus answering them with his actions instead of just his words. And I pray as we examine this, that this is, the, this is the, 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 the Word of God that, has, that is reinforcing your foundation to be reminded of what Christ has done for us, to be reminded that it is Jesus alone who, who can handle and take care of the, our problem of sin. But His effectual answer here, verse 10, effectual answer. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He's like, I'm going to demonstrate to you that I can forgive sins through my actions. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Instantaneously. Holy. Not just a little bit. Healed. Completely healed. 
brought in on a mat, lowered from the ceiling. This paralyzed man gets up and walks. Jesus miraculously healing him. And it is recorded for us that we may know that Jesus has the authority not only over creation, but has the authority to be able to forgive our sin and to handle our sin problem as He is eternal God. And we see the response from the crowd in verse 12. Immediately He got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. And as a result, they were all astounded. And Could you imagine? I mean, this really happened. This really happened. This is an historical account. This man was lowered in from the ceiling. Jesus heals him and he gets up, takes his mat and walks away. And as a result, they were all astounded. The masses were astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Jesus is unique. He is the only begotten. And it is he who provides us salvation. He alone. We have never seen Anything like this. And these are the actions that Jesus performed again and again that are recorded in the gospel accounts that ultimately leads to Jesus being uh, accepted as the long-promised Messiah, the one who would come to save His people. Because He's performing these miracles and so the masses see Him as as this Messiah figure and it leads us to this point in Mark chapter 11 and all the four of the Gospel narratives record this triumphal entry into Jerusalem as the Messiah. All four of the Gospels record it for us and so we know this is important. Fast forwarding to Mark chapter 11. Jesus again and again demonstrating his authority. The masses see him as this promised Messiah. And ultimately, Jesus fulfills an Old Testament prophecy of how the Messiah would arrive in Jerusalem into his city to rule and to reign. And that was on the back of a donkey. And that is what we celebrate today that, that Jesus is entering in to Jerusalem as King of kings and Lord of lords. But we know that Jesus is entering into Jerusalem to die. To be the suffering servant. To take our place. And the expectation of the crowd was, no, this guy was going to be a temporal king. He was going to temporarily rescue us. And as we see throughout Passion Week, these expectations of the crowd were not being met by Jesus because Jesus was doing the will of the Father, and it was far different from what they had in their own mind. But here we see in Mark 11, 4 through 10, this triumphal entry. So they went and found a colt outside on the street and tied by a door, and they untied it. And some of them standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They answered them just as Jesus said, so they let them go. And they brought it, the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. Verse 8, many people spread their clothes on the road and others spread leafy branches cut from the fields. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. They were also waving palms as Jesus was arriving and going through the gates of Jerusalem. 
And that's why where we get the, the term on this Sunday, Palm Sunday, because his triumphal entry was described as such. Verse 9, those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Hosanna means save us now. Save us now. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Attributing Jesus the honor due his name as the king, as the Messiah. Verse 10, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. They saw him as the, the king from that David had promised, that God had promised David that ultimately his, 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 his kingship would, would rule forever. And they saw Jesus fulfilling that. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And again, this is prophetically revealing or prophetically fulfilling what the Old Testament prophesied of how the Messiah would arrive in his, in his city in Jerusalem. This is in Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus fulfills this messianic prophecy of the Old Testament. All four Gospels reveal it. And so we see the crowds responding to him in this way because he's demonstrated this miraculous healing over and over again. But there's another undercurrent going on through this entire time that Jesus is demonstrating his authority uh, and proving his authority um, as he's healing, right, the, the response of the religious leaders, those that are in power, is not one of acceptance and not one of a celebration that God has fulfilled what he has promised. No, the, the religious leaders, the ones that are charged to point God's people to, to what God is doing, become embittered at Jesus. And they desire ultimately to kill him. Right? We go back to verses 6 and 7. We saw the scribes sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why is he speaking like this? That's blaspheme. And that's ultimately what Jesus gets accused of in his, in his religious trial in front of the high priest. Blasphemy. Being as God. And they, we go on to see in Mark chapter 3 that the, as the, Jesus begins to be more prominent and the people begin to look him at him as a Messiah favorite, right? the religious leaders become more and more afraid that their power and their sway over their people is being lost to Jesus. And so they determine to kill him. And as we go into this Passion Week, we, we have the benefit of hindsight. That's exactly what happens to the king. He is killed. And what looks like this traumatic, devastating event that happens on a Friday as Jesus goes to the cross and is uh, accused and whipped and scourged and, and then the wrath of God is poured out of him on this cross. We, we see this, what could be a very dark day as he is buried in the tomb. And we see the disciples and the, the, right, losing hope and losing heart because the one that they have followed is now dead. Praise be to God, we know the rest of the story. Three days later, Jesus rose from the grave. And that's what we're going to be celebrating next Sunday. That Jesus 
provided victory over death and the consequence of sin. That He has made a way for us to be reconciled to the Father through His sacrifice on the cross. What men intended for evil, God meant for good. And it wasn't plan B. It was from the foundations of the world. I hope you have placed your faith and trust in Christ this morning. It is He and only He and what He's done for you on the cross that can provide you a means in which you can be reconciled to your Creator. That separation of sin can only be crossed and gapped through what Jesus has done for you on the cross. That you place your faith and trust in Him alone and follow Him and turn from all other things. Follow Christ. It is Him who provides the way. But it's gospel message of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ is not plan B. It's from the foundation of the world. Forgiveness of sin is through the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And I take great comfort in knowing that this has always been God's plan. God has always determined from the foundation of the world that this is how He would save His people. By allowing His Son to come into His creation and to to live as a man, 100% God and 100% man, yet without sin, only to go to the cross and have the Father pour out His wrath upon His Son that He took the sin penalty that you and I deserve upon Himself. Because God is holy. And He must, if He's holy and just, He must punish sin. He can't just wink at our sin. I wouldn't be a just judge. Jesus took the penalty for us. God remains holy and just because He did punish sin. But God remains loving and merciful in that He allowed His Son to stand in our place. The amazing gift of salvation is given to us as a demonstration of God's grace, as a merited love and favor because we could never earn it. Acts 2.22, I just want to share this with as we close. This is Peter boldly proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit has come upon the church. Amazing things are happening. Right? Jesus has already ascended to the right hand of the Father. And this is what he tells this group of people who's he's proclaiming the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Fellow, fellow Israelites, listen to these words. The Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God. How? With miracles, wonders, and signs. We've seen that, right? In the first chapter of Mark alone. Jesus has attested himself and his authority by the miracles, wonders, and signs that he has, recorded, has been recorded as doing. That God did among you through him. Just as you yourselves know, there were people there that probably saw the miracles. Verse 23, though he was delivered up, taken to trial, beaten, whipped, scourged, and ultimately assigned the death penalty by hanging on a cross. He was delivered up, but it was not according to the plan of men but according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge. You use lawless people 
men intended for evil, God used. You used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. But praise be to God. Jesus' bones aren't in the grave. Three days later, he rose, demonstrating his victory and the complete propitiation or satisfaction of God's judgment upon sin for all those who would believe. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. That is the good news. Jesus stood in your place. And Jesus and God has demonstrated that placing your faith and trust in His sacrifice alone is enough. Abandon hope in your religion. Abandon hope in your self-righteousness. Abandon hope in your pride. And trust in Christ alone. The good news is Jesus came, demonstrated his authority as God in the flesh. And Jesus went to the cross to be your substitute. To take your penalty, your just penalty for your sin upon himself. Jesus, or Paul proclaims the, the gospel in the very succinct four verses in 1 Corinthians 15. This is the good news. Now I want to make clear to you, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached to you, the good news, the gospel message, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved. They've taken it, they've received it, they're taking their stand on it, Jesus alone. And Paul reminds them that if you do that, you're being saved, that Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient for your salvation. If you hold to the message I preached to you, We hold fast to it. We don't add to it. It is Christ alone. We stand in that. We stand in His salvation. If you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, and He'll go on and we'll talk about it next week about what He meant to be in vain. If Christ truly didn't rise from from the grave, then there's no sense for us to be here. But if Christ did rise from the grave then our eternal hope is in Him. And we have every reason to be here to offer the fruits of our praise to Him and worship Him for for saving us from what we truly deserve and giving us this eternal life that we don't deserve. That's the salvation that He's given us. For I passed on to you most of the important, which I also received, that Christ, here's the gospel, died for your sins, for our sins. According to the Scriptures, it's always been God's intention that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That is the good news of Jesus. And Passion Week and Palm Sunday is the beginning of us for us and gives us an opportunity to, to reflect on, on what God has done for us in the Gospel and on what Jesus has done for us. And to do a heart check of our motivations. What are, what are we living for? Do we, I know I have some of that in me that, that you know, seeking the, the temporal blessings. I leave that between you and the Spirit of God. But this week, 
goes far beyond just Easter egg, Easter egg hunts and, and the such. And let's enjoy ourselves. Let's have, let's have food and fellowship with one another. But let us also take time in our hearts to reflect on what Christ truly has done. I pray that if you haven't encountered Jesus in that saving way, that today would be the day that you turn and repent from anything else and trust in Him alone. That you too can receive this beautiful gift of salvation. That you too can be added to God's family and spend eternity with Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this opportunity to reflect on what You've done for us in this Passion Week. Today would be the day as Jesus entered into the city being proclaimed as the Messiah, Lord, just a few days later, that same crowd would be rejecting Him and screaming out to crucify Him. And in that, what God, what men have intended for evil, Lord, You've meant for good, and we stand here this morning as benefactors of Your miraculous and marvelous grace. The salvation that you purchased for us through Christ's shed blood God, we just ask, I ask, Father, that you begin with me, but you, I ask that your spirit would work in each and every one of our hearts, that you'd help us to reflect on what you've done for us, Lord, that we might draw near to you this week as we see the cost and the precious gift you've given us in Christ, and that you might receive glory in our actions and our attitudes and our prayers towards you, Lord, and that you might receive glory as you reflect your goodness and love through us to those around us who desperately need your light in this dark place. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.